No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. C.S. Lewis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kintad Svensgaard, and with me as always, please say hello to our friend, Mr. A.J. Mass. Oh, I'm too scared to do the podcast, Kintad. I'm too scared. Are you scared to death? <laughs> yeah, A.J., this podcast is about the television program Criminal Minds. Each and every week, we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so I'm giving it that virgin eyes kind of look, and uh, you are giving it the old, I've seen it a million times, grizzled veteran type of look, and uh, that's the perspective we're coming with. Boy, this week, what an episode. (laughs) We will profile season three, episode three of Criminal Minds, entitled Scared to Death. (laughs) This episode was directed by Felix Alcala and written by Erica Messer and Deborah J. Fisher. So, you know, grab a cup of coffee before starting this one. (laughs) It originally aired on October 10th, 2007. I got to leave Erica and Deborah alone. I just, it just, maybe it's coincidence that. Some of my. I don't think it's coincidence. I think. I think you, <laughs> on any show that that where the writers stick around for a while, you begin to get your favorites and those you don't like nearly as much. I think the one thing that this duo does very well, and we will discuss, of course, as the episode goes on, the character beats. I knew that was coming. I they, knew that's what you were going to say. They do that so brilliantly. I love their character work. The stories, the cases. Uh, yeah, exactly. So let's get into it. What shall we? Let's shall. <laughs> let's shall. <laughs> so this week we open to the sound of some banging or knocking, and all of a sudden we see the face of a woman behind a small glass window of some kind. She's in obvious distress. <laughs> yes, jump scare. Uh, she's in obvious distress. She's asking for help. She needs to be let out. She she doesn't want to do this anymore. She wants out. Through the glass window, from her point of view, we see a flashlight peering down, and there's a man there, and he's glancing at her, and then he glances at his watch, and then he calmly tells her, well, you know, it's just been seven minutes. She's done with this, okay? She wants out. He asks her if it's worse than she thought, and she can't breathe, and she just says, let her out, let her out. He repeats his question, is it worse than you thought. And she screams, yes, yes, it's worse. And then he's sliding some kind of metal plate over the window, obscuring the view, putting her back into darkness. And she's still pounding on the door or whatever it is she's in as he calmly puts a few magazines down on top of it. And we realize it's like a trunk, a big, huge trunk that she's in, in the middle of his office that's serving as a table. It looks like it looked great set dressing. It did look exactly like I would imagine a psychiatrist's office to look. Absolutely. So, good job there. Either uh, that or people. she overslept and uh, <laughs> couldn't get out of the Ikea. <laughs> right. 
Oh, man. Yeah, so our unsub, I'm just going to start calling him at this point, bad at this point. In fact, throughout most of my viewing, I called him Dr. Unsub. He just calmly puts some magazines on the trunk and we he sits at his desk and he checks his watch and he starts making some notes in a little notebook he has and he's measuring her anxiety at a 10. So I'm assuming 10 is the top um, <laughs> as all of a sudden the noise from the woman stops. He checks his watch again. He goes over and slides open the cover of the window and looks at in the trunk, closes it, calmly goes back to his desk to notate the loss of consciousness at eight minutes. And then he turns off the lights on his lamp. He has one of those lamps with two lights. I just thought that was an interesting touch. Like, why make him turn off both? <laughs> anyway, I, that, I don't know why that bothered me. <laughs> like, I would have saved some time there. And so he just sits there in the darkness and he's just taking his moment. It's, it's uh, always, to me, much more disturbing when the unsub is calm. <laughs> oh, definitely. I agree. We next cut to the BAU office. Reed is staring at the letter that Gideon left for him. Garcia comes in. She's gone through Gideon's office. And apparently the only thing he took with him were his pictures. And Reed points out that those pictures were like his family. And Garcia ponders what they should do with his stuff. And as she does that, Morgan and Prentice are there. They're looking sort of pensive. So there's a sort of visible tension in the office what with Gideon's departure. And thank goodness for it. I mean, you know, it would be really, really stupid to have them just going about their business. Da, 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 da. <laughs> right. <laughs> we cut to Hodge's office and he's staring at, at first, but I was I just had a quick glance at it and I thought it was some kind of like Rorschach ink blot in a frame for some reason. But uh, when I looked closer at it, I realized it was like one of those little handprint art projects. So I figure it must have been something Jack had done and he's staring at it and to remind us of his recent loss and what's on his mind. And 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 what a wonderful way of doing that without needing dialogue or to spend 20 minutes on it. Just like, oh, picture, kid, ah. <laughs> he gets a knock on the door and it's Strauss. She comes in wondering how everyone is doing. Hotch says, well, they're adapting and uh, she confirms for everybody that Gideon is officially resigned from the Bureau. And uh, when Hotch asks if he's even going to be guest lecturing, uh, she says no. And I think this was their show's way of telling us, uh, Mandy Patinkin ain't coming back, y'all. So don't be expecting no cameos in the future. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Strauss uh, lets him know that they're looking for a replacement. And she gives him a big stack of files. And yes, I believe the Ice Queen is thawing a little bit. Because she'd like Hotch's input onto who the hire should be. And uh, he does seem sincerely appreciative at that. Uh, let's just say this is a uh, temporary detente, at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I don't know that, but <laughs> I, I, was, I will... I'm saying, you know... Yeah. This, ca this character and this show could not continue if it was going to be every week, I'll get you BAU. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's not what this show's about. <laughs> JJ comes in to interrupt them and let Hotch know that the team is gathering. And so they go to the uh, conference room and JJ starts to give the case update, talking about they have four victims in Oregon. 
I'm glad we found out right away which Portland they were talking about. That was a little teaser at the end of our last episode. <laughs> which Portland would we be talking about? It is Portland, Oregon. Yeah, there's two female victims, two male victims. And Hotch interrupts her to say, you know what? I got this. And everybody kind of looks at each other because this seems to be unusual behavior from Hotch. And uh, he gives a very quick speech about he doesn't know what was going on with Gideon, basically. Like, I don't know why he made this choice, but we're here. We still here. We have a job to do. That's what's got to happen. So on to the next one, basically. And he starts going into the case details. I mean, leadership. Let's, it's the elephant in the room. Let's, let's address it. Yeah, Gideon's gone. He's not coming back. We'll, we'll manage. Right. So apparently their Portland field office found a gravesite that had three bodies in it. All of the victims were killed six months ago. And nearby, they just found another grave with the body. The cause of death for each of these victims was different. They ranged from things like being burned alive, being hung, be, being asphyxiated. Uh, none of the victims were sexually assaulted. The most vic- recent victim was named Jenny Whitman, and she died from asphyxiation and her body was discovered just yesterday. Uh, She was never reported missing. And in fact, only one of the four victims was reported missing at all. They were searching for him. His family was searching for him, but they found his car at the train station. And then they got emails from him saying that he needed time to figure things out. This unsub is clearly covering his tracks by doing the, by sending these emails. Prentice gets back to the fact that the three victims were in one grave and Jenny Whitman was found in the other grave. This could indicate a pattern, which might mean that in this case, it would be one down and two to go. So that's something they have to think about. We get a quick flash to some grisly corpse pictures and we cut to our first Mandyless credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds without Mandy Patinkin. We come back to the BAU jet flying and Hotch gives us our opening quote. The Taoist philosopher Lao Tzu once wrote, He who controls others may be powerful, but he who has mastered himself is mightier still. As usual, jet time is victimology time. And I gotta say... It seems so much less stressful on the jet when Strauss isn't there, <laughs> even though that was once. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do I do question why we need to do this since we haven't learned anything new since Hotch just gave the case mm-hmm. uh, two minutes ago. <laughs> uh, I, for those of you who tuned in two minutes late to the episode, here you yeah. go, here it is again. <laughs> it's Feasible City. They will, it will come back a little bit later on the importance of this a little bit, but I still think that we didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. I think really the only new information we got was that the victim's age ranges was from 25 to 30. It, it, it was pretty much what we've already heard. This guy's dump site though has been compromised. So he may feel pressured now that they're onto him. So that may be actually good for them because it might cause him to make some kind of mistake. Garcia chimes in. From the laptop and this was a nice little clever piece of filming because you know you always forget garcia is actually you know somehow live with them on the jet and uh she's like hey i'm down here and she can actually see them because we cut to her view and she sees everybody gathering around 
I like the I like the fact that Reed Reed is like, well, huh? oh, Garcia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is actually fooled because Reed does not like technology. He does not use technology, and therefore he is spooked by the disembodied voice of Garcia. <laughs> yes. She uh, chimes in that the unsub has posed as his victims and manipulated all the families into thinking that everyone was okay by sending them emails. Again, something we've already heard. I guess we didn't hear it was for all of them, but okay. Still, yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's done a little more clickety-clack in the meantime. Yeah. And uh, this guy also seems to know a lot of personal information about the victims. And the way he was able to send their emails was that he had the same usernames uh, and slightly different domains which i'm sure in 2007 people would have might have been a little bit less savvy yeah it's like when you get your uh the, the spoofing emails from uh you know american express right <laughs> <laughs> yeah the families didn't notice that they weren't actually from their loved ones and garcia is going to look into things and let them know if she finds any things and she says garcia out like she was ryan seacrest well it was of a time <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly Hotch says this guy is really creative we need to really dig in and start going over the details again thankfully the jet scene is over at that point uh, we cut next to the FBI field office in Portland where they meet our local law enforcement this time around it's somebody with the bureau special agent Bill Calvert JJ introduces the team to him and Morgan notes that he has a Bostonian accent. Great. That's just to set up something in, in a little yeah, bit. But at, at the time, you're, you're thinking, uh, did he come to a casting call thinking that it was Portland, Maine? Right. <laughs> and thinking he'd be right for the case. And then they moved it to Oregon or something. I don't know. <laughs> Wrong Portland. Oh, well, well, you, you stuck with me. How you like them apples? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it does become a plot point later on. Otherwise, there's absolutely no point for this exchange right. at all. <laughs> uh, Hotch does get straight to business. They want to take a look at Jenny Whitman's apartment. So Calvert is going to have someone drive them over there. Prentice is going to stay behind to work victimology. Uh, JJ is going to stay behind as well to set up the office. And Hotch Reed and Morgan will go over to Jenny's apartment. Now we cut to this next scene, AJ. I'm not too sure about this scene. It was either the best scene or the worst scene. <laughs> <laughs> of the show episode. <laughs> um, so the guys get to the apartment building and Reed and Morgan get on the elevator. Now, I guess it was a tiny elevator. It wasn't that damn tiny. Like Hotch looked at the elevator, was like, oh, you know what? No, thanks. I'll walk. Yeah, it was it was a small elevator. But considering the amount of room that Reed and Morgan have, to flail once this elevator will get stuck. Uh, clearly, there's enough room <laughs> once you get inside and shut the door for Hotch to have been there. Absolutely. But anyway, Hotch decides he's going to take the stairs. <laughs> and uh, so the elevator does make a sudden stop. And so Morgan starts jumping up and down to like maybe get it moving again. And Reed clearly doesn't like this. He's like, yo, man, you need to stop doing that. And I think this is the probably the most forceful i've ever seen read with morgan in terms of uh you need to do what i say right now and just stop that nonsense uh pretty much and morgan wants to know what his problem is and of course reed will give him elevator death and accident statistics and morgan's like uh, i don't mind those odds and he starts pressing on all the buttons and <laughs> reed is like still just sort of pleading with him yo man you gotta stop 
And Morgan's like, you know, what's the matter? Are you scared, Reed? And he says, I'm not scared. I just don't want to be in an elevator with you, to be honest. <laughs> I thought, damn. I'm not Maybe. scared. I'm just racist. I mean. <laughs> like, oh, that's not what you're going, going on there. Yeah. <laughs> and Morgan's kind of laughing, but all of a sudden the elevator gives it a real good lurch. And Morgan all of a sudden is like, no, no, no. Oh, like. The fear on Morgan's face is is comical at this point. The two of them are like a, a Abbott and Cost- Laurel and Hardy. I don't know. It was like a comedy scene all of a sudden. Yep. They played it really big is what I'm saying. And so Reed tells Morgan, hey, try to pry the door open. He can't. And then the elevator stops, starts to drop a little bit. And they're panicking and freaked out. And Morgan starts saying, no, 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 not today. Like they're going to die on the (laughs) second or third floor from this elevator dropping. (laughs) Like, calm down. And uh, so they start screaming for Hotch. And the tone of voice Reed had when he screamed for Hotch, it was just classic. And, uh, you know, that may be what I would go back to this episode for time and again. He he, he could not get it out of the Hotch. Oh, gosh, it was great. And uh, we cut back to Hotch. He's walking in the hallway. The elevator door opens right in front of him. So the timing of this is such that he took his time to get up the stairs. And by the time he's gotten upstairs and is walking down the hallway, Reed and Morgan tumble out of the elevator. Morgan is like, hallelujah. And Hotch is like, what's going on? Did I, did I hear the alarm or something? Are you guys all right? They just sort of give him a look. Morgan's like, I'll get back to you on that. And they continue walking down the hallway and Reed goes, "Woo!" <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it's it's fun. <laughs> it's nice to see. It doesn't have anything to do with the case. No, doesn't need to be there. No, but it was fun. I, to me, the, the best part is that Hotch really has no reaction. <laughs> he doesn't. He's deadpan the whole time. He just walks right on past. And now, it seems odd to me that the elevator gets stuck before it's reached its destination and it would fall a little bit, maybe once or twice, and yet open exactly on the floor. <laughs> yeah. It and, didn't seem like that's where they had stopped. Right. And it wasn't like they were in a 20-story building. This maybe was a five-story building and they were going to like the fourth, fifth floor. Or you know, I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't that much. No, not uh, at all. What, what's even weirder <laughs> for me... <laughs> is that they've taken the elevator up, Hodge has walked the stairs, and the next shot we see is the landlord opening the door, and here's her apartment. Like, where the hell did he come from? Yeah, he just uh, appeared all of a sudden. I mean, maybe he was waiting for them up there, but then he then he would have heard the alarm. Like, the, the, <laughs> Yeah. So, yes, we do cut to the apartment super or landlord. He uh, reminded me of, like, a skinny, poor man's Gary Busey. And... Uh, <laughs> He lets them into the apartment. He's wondering why they're there because the FBI was already there two days ago. And Reed explains for the super and any new viewers that they're the behavioral analysis unit. And it seems to me like a little odd because he's giving the super a lot of information that I feel like I know it's Reed. It would be really odd if Hotch was giving him all this information. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I can see Reed giving him this information, but I felt like he overshared AJ. Well, consider the traumatic experience he just survived. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. But that doesn't that just does not explain Morgan's strange behavior, which follows. 
Exactly. So they start searching the apartment. It looks like uh, really lived in. Appears that Jenny spent most all of her free time here. She doesn't have any answering machines at all. Morgan comes running out from the bathroom. Hey, you guys, come look at this. Come, come. So they go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, man, what's going on here? Turns out there's some boxes in the shower, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yes, that is the upshot. But here's, here's how I'm looking at it. Morgan is gone for like two seconds. Looks in the bathroom like, guys, you got to see this in the bathroom. They walk in there and he goes, she never uses the water. Like, wait, how do you know? And they say, how do you know she never uses the water? Rips back the curtain because there's boxes in here. <laughs> <laughs> in two seconds, he, he was able to figure out. So I should check inside the shower. Pull back the curtain. Pull it back for a big reveal later. Uh, Man. So yes, she used the shower for storage, apparently. That's the upshot, as you said. And uh, Reed asked the super super if uh, he ever noticed anything odd about Jenny. Well, she stank to high heaven because she never showered. (laughs) Yeah. The super says, well, the only odd thing that he could come up with is that she moved in about two months ago. And for that whole time, she's walked up and down the stairs a hundred times. She would never use the elevator. To which, of course, Morgan says, well, I don't blame her. And uh, they know that Jenny doesn't like tight spaces. This is what they get because of the shower. So she doesn't like to be. Because of the shower. Right. Or maybe because she just had so much storage that she just put it in the shower. <laughs> Agreed. They make it seem like she 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 boarded up the shower so that she couldn't get trapped inside of it. <laughs> so, wait, let's check inside the oven. <laughs> she, she didn't cook food in the oven. She used it for storage because she was afraid of small spaces. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about the logic, but okay. What they do figure out from this is that our our sub must prey on people who are new to the city and have no strong social ties. Jenny fits that model. She was an easy target for this guy. Uh, the unsub was probably betting that she wouldn't be missed. Fair. There's nothing wrong with that. It's still a little bit of a leap, but okay. Yeah. We cut back to Prentice and JJ. They're at the field office. Prentice is pacing They've gone over the details so much, Emily feels like she could recite them in her sleep. And JJ says, well, nothing like being prepared. Why don't you try working like I do, Ems? Uh, <laughs> I, I added that last part. Uh, but yeah, nothing like being prepared since we, went, since we went over it. And then I went over it. And then we went over it again. But oh, this man. time we went over it, you know, with pictures on the board. Oh, the same man. pictures that we had when we were flying here that we looked at. <laughs> yeah. Um, Calvert comes in and he lets them know that he's talked to Jenny Whitman's family. Apparently they weren't close. She came to Portland for a fresh start. She struck out on her own. Garcia also didn't come up with any connections between the victims other than the fact that they all had just relocated to Portland and they all lived alone. Calvert says, well, you know what? That describes me because I just moved here a month ago. I just transferred over here a month ago. I don't know, I'm 30, I'm single, I have no social life since I work so much. I thought he was about to, like, hit on either Prentice or JJ here. <laughs> like, fair, fair. Um, and, you know, hey, why not? It shoot, 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 shoot your shot. But <laughs> the, other, the other alternative is because this episode is all about being scared to death and fear. Is like, I, I also thought, like, could I be the next victim? <laughs> 
Right. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I need some protection. Someone walk me home, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> so JJ wants to go over the evidence from the other victims' homes. And then she wants to talk to Calvert about how he got into the settled into the city. Maybe that will help them find something common among the victims. Uh, so he agrees to that. Then he wonders why the unsub killed in so many different ways. And Prentice says, well, that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. We cut back to our unsub's office and he's taking more notes in his notebook. And then he turns off his light and sits back again like before. But now we go to a flashback. We see him as a little boy saying, Mommy, please don't turn off the light. And we hear a very scary woman's voice. They made his mother a bad apple with just a few lines here. And she's saying, stop whining. One more word out of you. You know what's coming. And the boy is like, please don't get the belt. No, Mommy, please. Yeah, they can't spell it out any plainer. You'll never become an astronaut. Now stop hanging out with Sheldon. <laughs> exactly. Um, he checks his uh, watch back in the present to Dr. Unsub. He checks his watch, turns the light back on, gets up from his desk. He's dabbing himself with his handkerchief. So obviously he's gone through some sort of trauma here by having these flashbacks, some sort of personal ordeal. He opens his door and there is a man there. And the Unsub is like, hey, Patrick, so sorry to have kept you waiting. This guy, Patrick, gets up saying, no problem. They head into his office. So clearly this guy thinks he's just a regular patient here. And the unsub thanks him for coming in so late. You know, it looks like maybe his secretary, he didn't realize she had already left. Uh, but thank you for coming. It's their fourth session. He asks Patrick, what does he think? What kind of progress they've made? And Patrick is let, like, well, I thought about what you said. And I'd like to move on to the next phase. And I'm like, Patrick, I don't think you'll like his next phase. <laughs> and then we cut to a break. Well, he'll have a few minutes to think about it, but you are correct. Uh, <laughs> that next phase probably involves some very, very detailed notes in his notebook. Mm -hmm. It's not like the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not uh, no. an enjoyable phase. <laughs> or to some, I would say. Uh, Although so he, is, next... he is a bit of a strange doctor. Ow! <laughs> All right. So Patrick is then walking down the hallway after a break with uh, Dr. Unsub, and he tells him that he recognized a bunch of the names on the directory uh, when he walked into the building from his website, and he asks him how many specialists are with the Goodman Institute. And Dr. Unsub says, well, 15 right now, but they're looking for another one who can make house calls. And Patrick is like, oh, for agoraphobics. And Dr. Unsub says, yes, some patients know what's best, but they can't get the courage to actually go through with the behavioral therapy. So now we know basically what kind of scam our Unsub is, is doing here. He's got a whole office set up to make people believe in the Goodman Institute. Whatever that is. <laughs> we next cut to JJ, who's talking to Calvert, and he's confirming that when he first moved here, you know, one of the first things he did was find a good coffee place. Then he joined a gym, he found a doctor, a dentist, a dry cleaner, etc. And JJ says, okay, so you got established and then you got comfortable with your surroundings. And Calvert wonders if that's the type of places 
that you would go to check for the victims, what kind of places they went to, and maybe you could find something from similar places. I mean, it's a great theory. I, I, look, I get using Calvert in this capacity, because it's always good to talk about these things and brainstorm, but it's, JJ is treating this like she's never moved to a new place in her entire life, and like this is such a completely foreign concept that you couldn't possibly go, all right, let's, you know, let's say you move to a new place. Well, you know, you'd have to set up your phone, you know, like, like yeah, he's done it recently, and you might want to maybe have him walk through it to pick up a few things, but she could have started that list without <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would ask for, is there anything Portland, Oregon exclusive that I should know about? Yes! It's like, it's like you know, okay, you found a place to live, obviously, so we should take out realtors. Like, that. that's number one. You know, that that should be off the board. That it's like, okay, now you turn on your electric, we get the, we get the utilities. It's like, then you have to get your Fred Armisen tattoo, because that's required in Portland. <laughs> right. Uh, next, we cut to... A body of water. I thought it was a lake at first, but apparently it's a river. And uh, Dr. Unsub and Patrick are on a dock there. And there's actually a bench on the dock. So they're sitting on this bench on the dock. Patrick is looking freaked out as he finishes telling the doctor some kind of camp story that we didn't get to hear. But that's what he was talking about when we joined them. And apparently he's never learned to swim because of this camp incident, whatever it was. And then... And, and then- it turns out that she was really a he and oh, I'm sorry I'm giving away the spoilers for sleepaway camp <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were talking uh, uh, Mrs. Voorhees who was the killer in the original nice work Sydney. <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you uh, <laughs> so yeah so the doctor Patrick is terrified of water that's the main point here before i lose track here that's the main point he's terrified of the water dr unsub is like looks like you're doing fine now and patrick says he could never imagine himself you know feeling so calm sitting in a situation like he's at and the doctor says you know you've admitted you need help that's the hardest part now we just have to get a hold of the fear and patrick is like yeah but i thought we'd just be doing this in some lab or something the doctor says, no, behavioral therapy is most effective in a natural setting. And Patrick is very sweaty and nervous, but he's going to do it. He's going to get in that water. And Patrick gets himself ready as the doctor grabs one of those long lifeguard sticks that have little noose at the end of them, which uh, we learn later the name of It's a Shepherd's Crook. But uh, I didn't know that until we named it in the show. No, I did not. Realized that I was just calling it the big blue pole. <laughs> yes. We cut back to the FBI office and it's profile time. It's AJ, pro we hear some stuff. Profile in progress time. And I did yes. what I did like about this is these are not cops. This is a fellow FBI office. So they don't have to say it's time to live a profile. These are their colleagues. We can just this is where we are right now is anyway, it's it's a group think session. So it's not delivering the profile because there are no cops in this episode. It's it's fellow FBI. Fair. I, I still kind of viewed it as like what would take place of a profiling. Scene. Sure, but there are a lot more. Ah, it could be this. Yeah, it could be that. It, it's it's not the usual delivery of we are looking for a man who does this and he has this feature. This is more like well. <laughs> yeah. We're not really quite sure how the unsub will react. Well. <laughs> It's possible. They're a lot more willing to go, well. Very true. A few things we learn here new. 
Apparently, this guy used Wildwood Trail. That's the name of the, the trail he was using as his personal graveyard for at least six months. Um, that site is now, you know, he can't use that site anymore because they've now found the bodies, which means he's going to be forced to change his M.O., which won't be easy for someone who obviously so much thrives on control. And he got away with the first three murders because he had been so meticulous from how he chose the victims to their various tortures and burials. And all of the victims were non-specific. They had nothing in common except their newness to Portland. And of course, the fact that they were tortured to death in some kind of fashion. They think the unsub cho chooses them for another reason too, which they haven't quite put their hand on yet. Like you said, well, um, <laughs> There's no sexual component, which Reed says is rare. So this looks like it's not about exerting power. It's more like it's overcompensating for the lack of it. This guy craves control, but he's coming from a place of weakness. So he's trying to show off his strength. They see this a lot in unsubs who were abused as children. Then we cut to Patrick. He's stealing himself. He's trying to get his nerve up to go into the water. We cut back to the profile scene. Um, they're talking about, again, the lack of sexual assault. That could mean the guy is impotent and he's trying to hide the fact. Uh, he might crave stability. It's likely that he's married. And if he's impotent, it's possible that he could hide that from the world by adopting some children. Someone this methodical should have every moment planned. If he's captured, this guy would most likely take his own life rather than give up any control. We cut back to Patrick. He's in the water now. And the doctor has that lifeguard pole thingy in the water. And Patrick grabs at it, holding on for dear life. Cut back to Morgan, who's saying that the victim's lack of defensive wounds suggests that they willingly put themselves in danger. So someone of authority or otherwise easily trusted put them up to this. And Prentice also says that the victim's families were led to believe that their loved ones were alive and well through emails. Hotch says he's calculating this guy's intelligent and we're going to have to do something that he's not expecting. They say, like, what? And they figure, let's warn his potential victims. That's interesting. That's interesting because so you don't know who the yeah. potential victims are. So how do you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. So then we cut to the doctor telling Patrick that he's doing great. But all of a sudden, Patrick starts breathing heavy. He starts panicking. And the doctor just asks his question, is it worse than you thought? And Patrick says, he's done. It's not going to work. Get me out of here. And the doctor repeats, is it worse than you thought? And then he actually uses the pole to push Patrick further back from the dock. And Patrick is really panicking at this point. And the doctor lets go of the pole. Is it worse than you thought? Patrick flounders for a bit. Uh, basically, that's it for Patrick. Yeah. Is it he worse drowns. than you thought? Glub, 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 glub. Was that <laughs> glub, glub or glub, glub, glub? What was that last comment? Uh, the yeah. Poor Patrick. Poor Patrick. The doctor looks at his watch, sits down on a bench on the dock, grabs his notebook. Then he just gets around, looks around for a minute and gets up to leave. I thought it was kind of weird because... I figured, oh, he's going to start writing in his notebook, but he, it's because he sat down as if he was going to do that. But then he just gets up after a second and leaves. Yeah, I think maybe it's just a little bit of self-preservation, like just in case somebody saw what was going on here or heard something and comes to investigate, 
I should I should skedaddle. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's very calm. And I mean, you know, we just spent a whole long, very long time talking about uh, the profile and everything and how he's going to have to find a new place to dispose of the body as well. Body disposed. <laughs> yeah. As disposed as it could be. We now cut to JJ having her press conference. She's explaining how the remains were found in the Wildwood Trail. Two women, two men, all in their 20s, all new transplants to Portland. Great. Since Another the victims profile have that- meeting. <laughs> yes. It's like the 15th time we've heard this. I get it. She's doing it for yeah. the media now. But it's like, ah, again? <laughs> exactly. Since the victims have that in common, they're confident the person they're looking for latches on new people. Since they're easy to targets, if you're young and you're new to Portland, or if you know someone who is, please call the number on your screen for more information on how to stay out of a dangerous situation. We cut to Dr. Unsub and see that he is listening with interest to this press conference on the radio. And then we cut to a woman who is watching the conference on TV, and she has called in because she thinks her tenant, Patrick, fits the profile and he appears to be missing. She's actually talking to Prentice. Uh, she's telling her that Patrick is 28. He just moved to Portland for grad school. He has only been missing this since this morning, but she says he always sticks to a routine. He always jogs. And then while she's watching her morning shows, then he puts on his backpack and walks to class. Then he always comes back from class for lunch. And that's when he walks his dog, Lucy, who's sitting over there in a cage on the couch, barking her, her head off. And uh, Prentice hears those dog barking Lucy, and she confirms that uh, the landlord is in Patrick's apartment, and that the landlord says, uh, and his backpack is still there. And she wonders why he would just leave like this, and Prentice says she doesn't know. And I gotta say two things about this. First of all, that is the that that woman is wearing one of the ugliest yellow dresses I have <laughs> ever seen. I'm just, I'm sorry that it did not fit her, and it was just gaudy one piece yellow thing like (laughs) come on come on but uh all right she's a real person and real people dress like that okay fine but just just from just from aesthetics like it it just took me out of the scene because all i could do is look at the dress you know uh have you ever in your life (laughs) ever heard a press conference like this ever in your life we just listen to the radio Oh, we, we interrupt this radio, the, the hits of the 80s, 90s, and today with this message from the FBI. Listen up, you 20-year-olds. <laughs> I have to say no, AJ. I have not heard a press conference like this before. I mean, yeah, before. occasionally after a crime, you'll turn on CNN and, the, 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 you know, oh, there was a big media event and like everyone's here and we, we'll now hear from the police chief and we'll now hear from this person. We'll now hear from this. Yeah, Sure. But just random radio TV broadcasts of, hi, this is me with the FBI. We uh, we thought we'd let you know that there's something going on and please be vigilant. Like, I've never seen this. I, I have to agree with you. Ah, such a TV thing. So the landlady basically has uh, called in about Patrick. And next thing we know is we're cutting to the river and we see a hand floating quietly in the water. So that's what happened to Patrick. We cut back to Dr. Unsub's office, and he's writing the word drowned in his notebook. And then he turns out the light, and it's dark, and we hear him start to breathe heavily. We cut back to a bit later. Dr. Unsub apparently is arriving home for the night. 
and his wife is there and she starts right in on him. She wants to know what's the point of family dinner if he's not going to be there. He says he was a patient. She goes in on him for not calling, that he was going to be late. She also starts in with the fact that he missed Jessica's tuition payment. She had to write a check. The girl has also asked for her father three times now. And he just starts to walk away and she tells him, oh, well, then this dinner I just heated up for you is going to get cold. <laughs> and uh, I guess he just snaps because he's like, damn it, woman, I can't do anything right. And he grabs the plate. You want me to eat? And he goes over to the table and just starts shoveling food in his face like mashed potatoes. <laughs> you see him in his open mouth. As I put in my notes, henpecked husband is mad. <laughs> yeah. Is this is this making you happy? Is this what you want? And we see her from his viewpoint as he's looking at her, and she has morphed into his mother. Jeez, oh, yeah. And then she morphs back into his, his wife. And she's like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? And he's like, is this what you want? His mouth is full of mashed potatoes. He gets up and walks out. He throws his plate into the sink, and she's asking what's wrong with him. We then cut to Dr. Unsub at his daughter's bed, and his daughter asks why he was yelling at Mommy. Is it because she always yells at you? <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Uh, he doesn't answer this question, but instead points out that her light is on. And, you know, having a light on isn't good at night. That tricks your body into not producing melatonin. And the daughter is like, mellow what? <laughs> what now? She's like seven years old, dude. <laughs> like, What are you doing here? He says, you know, you grow in your sleep and you can only do that if it's dark. She's begging him not to turn out the light because she's scared of the dark, but he does. He's telling her not to be afraid. It's for her own good. And then he says goodnight and leaves the room. You know, <laughs> uh, there's this thing where, like, you know, you, the abused becomes the abuser. And I think we pretty much see the pattern here. <laughs> oh, man. They also say you should always marry a girl just like dear old mom and like this is probably a case where perhaps he shouldn't have yeah uh bad choice man <laughs> so yep now we cut to the next morning we see a jogger running along he's noticed something and it's patrick's body washed up on the shore of the river and we cut back to it now it's being zipped up in a coroner's bag it's now a crime scene <laughs> I, I was say, like they had they spent the time to cast somebody to play jogger who looks over and sees something and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's his whole we part. We could have just cut to Patrick being zipped up in the body bag. We would have just assumed that somebody found him. Yes. So Calvert is there. He's telling Prentice that the local police have identified the body. It is Patrick Walker. He's got deep abrasions <laughs> and bruising. He's got bruising on the neck and shoulders. And Calvert says he knows... That the landlady has called pa about Patrick being missing. But why does Prentice think that this is related to their case? It's a good question. Fair. I mean, yep. she can then tell him, which she does. <laughs> yes. Which I believe her answer was, duh. It, it, he fits the profile uh, of the victims. And Calvert says, but he wasn't buried like everyone else. And Prentice says, yes. <laughs> Again. Let's repeat what we've said already. The unsub can't use the same old site as before. So now he's got to come up with something different. And Morgan comes up. He was there, apparently. And he mentions the only thing useful that they found in the water was the lifeguard pulley thing. And he is the one that has taught me that it is called a shepherd's crook. Yes. he. Uh, 
I understand that the shepherd's crook was found in the water and is probably devoid of prints and DNA, but Morgan is just manhandling that piece of evidence willy-nilly without any of the little plastic gloves on plastic or anything. Gloves. It's like, yep. come on, man. Morgan, you know better than that. Again, I realize there's probably no evidence on it whatsoever, but just in case. Oy. Yep. Morgan does give it to a cop, hands it straight to a cop. And as you said, I did, I did notice no gloves. He just hands it to him. He's like, take care of this, bro. Well, he's, he's practically juggling. <laughs> Look at this damn thing I found on the wall. <laughs> so then uh, Calvert says, well, this is the first body that we found where there's been signs of a struggle. And Prentice asks Calvert, which, by the way, I mean, bruises and abrasions, it didn't seem that like there would be bruises and abrasions from the contact that those two had. No, there might be post-mortem bruising and abrasions from things in the water. Yeah. But you, you are correct. This was not like, it wasn't like this was choking him or anything like that. I mean, he willingly got in the water. He wasn't forced. And he went blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes. So anyway, Prentice does ask Calvert if he remembers any open cases involving suspicious drownings. And Calvert say there's been two or three since he got there. He'll uh, have his office get them the files, see if they can make any kind of connection. Fair. You know, hey, any Portland in a storm. <laughs> Morgan calls to Hotch and tells him that they found Patrick body, Patrick Walker's body in the river. And it's exactly as they predicted. So Hotch goes to look at the pictures they've got on the board. And he says, fire, hanging, asphyxiation, now we got a drowning. Reed thinks maybe it's somebody scared of drowning. And this hit him when Morgan freaked out when they were stuck in the elevator. And Morgan, who is on speakerphone, is like, I freaked out. As if, you know, to point out that Reed was freaking out as well. And Prentice is like, you were stuck in an elevator? And Reed says, look, what's important here is that the MOs on all the victims uh, could be classified as anxiety disorders. It's all about fear. These people are being killed by their fears. And my, I'm thinking is that they must have originally wrote this script when L was still with the team because that sounded exactly like something that L would do. It was like, oh, I had an epiphany in the elevator, you know, 17 scenes back. And I didn't feel like mentioning it until right now that perhaps it was someone who was afraid of things. Right. So we give that to Reed, who's probably the least likely to, to hold his tongue when he has it. Especially when it's about talking about fears, of which he has many. <laughs> mm -hmm. We do do a quick flash before we go to a break of Jenny's face being pressed against the glass of her trunk window, begging for help, and Patrick in the water begging for help. Uh, just to remind us that those people had fears. Yes, and, and probably because they were about 15 seconds short in the episode. <laughs> right. It's an easy way to add. So next we come back, we get a quick scene of Prentice and Reed discussing how Hotch has been way more intense since Gideon has been gone. And she asks Reed, well, how about him? How's he doing? Does he want to talk about Gideon? And Reed's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm I. He left a letter explaining everything, just like my dad did when he abandoned my mom. <laughs> and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Someone opened a dark door just there. Hang on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the letter was addressed to Reed, and Reed is letting her know this, and Prentice is pointing out basically to Reed that Gideon left him the note. Why does he think that Gideon did that? He should maybe read the letter again, 
And Reed points out again, uh, I've got an eidetic memory. And she's like, yeah, and I know. And you have a 187 IQ. But what do you remember about your father? And you had 10 years with him before he split. Now you can remember nothing. Uh, you've erased all those memories. It's painful. She gets it. But look, Gideon is gone. Read the letter again. Ask yourself why of all the people that he abandoned, basically, that he left, that he only explained himself to one person. That's you, Dr. Reed. That's you. You know, good character scene. A uh, little, little preachy, a little long, but it's good to see that these people care about each other and they, they, they're becoming family. And I will say, with one less person around, since Gideon's gone, there's actually enough room for this. Because <laughs> we don't have to fill in the, all the all the all the, this would have been fifteen more minutes of of getting what are we missing what are we missing here this guy we got to do this or something what, look at the pictures look at the pictures look at the pictures why did you do this we cut back to Doctor Unsub's office and he has a new patient he's asking her how she's adjusting to Portland and she's like I wouldn't know I really only see four walls of my apartment I work at home I haven't even hooked up my cable yet so she's clearly. The next victim. Well, yeah, she fits the profile for sure. You know, she's right. she's in the twenties. She's new to the city. She's in his office. <laughs> we cut to Reed and Prentice, and they are at a laundromat, and it was the closest one to Patrick Walker's apartment. And in there, they find a bulletin board, on which they find a flyer for the Goodman Institute. They advertise a controlled research project that pays you a hundred bucks to help you get over your anxieties. Only one of the phone number stubs was taken. So it must have been Patrick. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. They do not jump to that conclusion, okay? Yes. Let's be fair I here. Uh, if they had jumped to that conclusion, I'd have been like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> No, Morgan shows up and he says, oh, let's go to the other places where the other victims were and see if we can find those flyers. And then then we'll have a common bond. So they're not jumping. You passed over my favorite part of the scene, though, is that Reed comes up to her with a bag of pretzels and say, you, yes. you want some pretzels? And she's like, I don't think the victims had anything to do with pretzels. <laughs> right. I don't think that was a common bond. And I, I, again, that's just one of those wonderful little character things. It's probably even improvised on the spot by the actors, but it stays because it's fun. And it is kind of funny, yeah, that Rita's sitting there <laughs> going to get some pretzels. What the hell, dude? Uh, you, want, you want some pretzels? We, I, I don't think that has anything to do with the case now. <laughs> <laughs> we next cut back to Dr. Unsub. He's asking his latest appointment if she's told anyone that she's going to therapy. So I suppose the answer here, if it would have been yes, is, uh, okay, not not you. You've saved your skin. But unfortunately for her, yeah. oh, her answer you, you is no. You did tell somebody. Okay. Well, you know, this is, this is a long process that has to wait right. until you stop telling people that you went here today. <laughs> she says she can't talk to her family about anything that she's doing, which is music to his ears. He asks her what makes her anxious. She brings up a cave diving trip that's coming up. She is a scuba diver. She's fine in open water. Damn it. That's no problem for her. <laughs> uh, but going near a cave is really what making her panic. Uh, she starts thinking of the walls getting smaller. She can't breathe. She wouldn't like it. And Dr. Unsub says, so you're saying essentially <laughs> what you fear is being buried alive. 
and she asks if he can help her out. And he tells her that the core of any phobia is the fear that we're losing control. And once we understand and accept that, we can conquer what frightens us. He thinks that she can get over her fear in just one session and never feel that fear again. She is, of of course, intrigued by this. Uh, He says if she can come back to the office later, they can get started. She agrees to it. A little bit of creepy music plays as our unsub has a slight smile on his face. And we cut to a dark basement looking room. We see our unsub is dragging a shovel. He leaves it on the floor and we can see dirt on it as if he's been recently digging. Yeah, it's it's nice that he's, you know, instantly... Uh, intrigued by the drowning because he knows exactly where to take her. <laughs> and then she, she pulls a, a right turn and goes, ah, well, it's the cave. Cave? Uh, I don't have any... Portland, we don't have caves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I buried alive. Buried alive. <laughs> now, now, when you say you're afraid of of the, the, the chance that you might be abducted by aliens... It's it's really the probe <laughs> that you're afraid of, right? <laughs> right. Where can I steer this? <laughs> he, yeah, he needs to put it where where it's something he can do, something he can control. So next, we cut to the coffee shop where Morgan had suggested they uh, look for more flyers, and Emily is at a bulletin board, and there is another Goodman Institute flyer there. She points out the date on that flyer, which apparently was last summer. So if the guy has been luring victims for that long, then there's possibly more victims than they originally thought. And I like that idea of them figuring out the time. I only wish that it had been buried underneath other, like, timelier flyer. Like, why would he put why would right. he put the date on the flyer? Because it's just come to the Goodman Institute. It's the same flyer. Where where whereas if it had just been like underneath the July Fourth festival. <laughs> Right. Oh, it was here. Look, three have been taken. Um, but uh, clearly the person from the July Fest will put it on top of it, so it must have been here before July. Like, that would have made more sense right. to me. But, yeah, sure. Yeah, all right, you know. I'll take it. It's dated. He dates all his flyers. Fine. Sure, sure, fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it wasn't like op- open house on August the 3rd. Like, you know, that would... They could have said that, but we saw the first flyer. Right. There was nothing like that on there. So, uh... They do think that they need to go back and trek the rest of the Wildwood Trail because there may be more victims. So we cut back to the trail and there's cops there searching everywhere. And Emily gives Derek a look because it appears that they found something. But then before we see what that is, we cut to the basement room and Dr. Unsub is stacking several bags of dirt. Many bags of dirt. Many, many, many bags. A lot of bags of dirt. dirt. Yes. And then we cut back to the trail and Prentice is asking how they've missed this before. And Morgan says, hey, look, the trail is 40 miles long. It's not like it's, you know, not like it was obvious. Calvert comes up to Prentice and says, "Okay, we've got eight graves and 12 more bodies. And Prentice is like, "Okay, so apparently he didn't stick to a pattern. Now we have 12 more victims. We pan over to Morgan, who's on the phone with Garcia and she's giving him grief for his getting scared while on the elevator. <laughs> and he does admit that he did freak out a little bit. Anyway, she's checked out the Goodman Institute already. She says, to the untrained eye, this website looks totally legit. All the articles are well written. It's it's not like if it was anybody else, they might 
be fooled by this website. But uh, I'm Garcia, damn it. I can tell that this is a bogus website. There's no tax records. There's no business license for this place. There's no evidence at all that it exists. It's supposed to be run by a guy named Dr. Barry Goodman. Barry Goodman. I think of a baseball bin, Betty Good. Uh, <laughs> when yeah, I heard this. Chico Supposedly- is running <laughs> yes. the Institute. Sure. <laughs> so uh, it is supposedly... This place, this doctor is renowned in the field of curing fears and phobias. And there's a questionnaire questionnaire on the website that asks all kinds of questions about phobias. And Derek is like, so the victims fill it out. And then he gets them right from there, right from the screen, he says. Oh, our, our view back of when technology. We just considered back. Internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's only been about 15 years. <laughs> Such a different world. Yes, it is. Anyway... Uh, Garcia is going to get all that information over to Hotch. Next, we cut to Dr. Unsub leading his patient down to the basement, saying it's cool and dark, and it'll feel just like a cave. And this woman says, well, she'd definitely take a basement over a cave right now. <laughs> and she, she feels relaxed. Why does she feel relaxed? Because that cup of tea he gave her really helped her calm down. Mm, nothing suspicious about that comment at all. <laughs> Yes. Uh Uh-huh. So he leads her in, and she starts feeling a little dizzy. And then all of a sudden, she starts to faint to the the point where he has to catch her. And he says to her, you're very brave, Missy. And it took me a beat before I realized that he wasn't saying, like, calling her Missy. Like, look here, Missy. He was actually, Missy's this girl's. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where closed captioning helps, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, apparently there's a like shaft or a hole on the left side of the room that he's dug. I It looked like it was filled in already with concrete on one side. I don't know. It seemed like he dug his hole very straight and rectangular and not like a hole I would have just dug. But it's just a random <laughs> thought I had. It, it seemed... Too too well done for a hole just dug. I, I agree day. with you, especially because if he had dug a hole with dirt and took it out of it, then he wouldn't need to buy bags of dirt to refill it. What I'm thinking, and as we will learn later on, is that there was construction and renovations that were ready to be done on this building, and therefore he probably just needed to kind of pry open a hole that, like an elevator shaft or something that was already there, that 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 he was going to fill in with the dirt, but was already a confined space to just, he was removing like a floorboard or something. That works, but I don't appreciate having to like I'm, figure I'm, that I'm out. With in my, I'm totally with you. As a viewer. <laughs> uh, anyway, he uh, takes her over to the hole and pushes her into it. And it's a large hole. I mean, to the point where there's some distance between where she's looking up at him, you know, like, this isn't a short hole. It's like you said, maybe a shaft that he's uncovered yeah, it's about or something. The size of uh, uh, Reed and Morgan in an elevator. <laughs> yes. No room for Hotch, though. No room for Hotch. He would not fit in the hole. He goes over to uh, to the window where he has propped his notebook for some Loves reason in the light Loves of the window, notebook. and he uh, takes out his notebook and he starts his note taking. He looks down the hole and then sits down and and then he has another flashback to him. I don't know. Maybe he's about 10 years old at this point. 
And his mother is screaming at him because he's wet the bed again. And she says, now they'll all see. And she hangs his sheets outside the yeah, window. Which, this mother is sadistic, man. Which actually man. Was, was the uh, plot of a after-school special, ABC after-school special. For th- those of you who are a lot younger than us, which is everybody listening, uh, <laughs> when you got home from school at three, <laughs> ABC used to run an after-school special. And one of them was called something like uh, The Long Distance Runner. Uh, and it was about a kid who became an Olympic uh, quality long distance runner because when he wet the bed in the morning, he knew that he had to run home from school as fast as he could to take down the sheets that he knew his mother was going to hang uh, so that, the, that he could get home before his classmates got home and saw it hanging there. So that's how he learned to become a good long distance runner. So this was just basically the plot of an after school special. But... After school specials, man, that brings me back. Was Boy on the Bub in the Bubble an after school special, or was it? Uh, I, I believe that was a television movie. TV yeah. movie. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> getting getting way off track here. <laughs> uh, got a girl so, in a yeah, hole, we... not a boy in the bubble. Stick stay on point. <laughs> Baby Jessica. No. <laughs> so he's uh, flashing back to that, and the mom just leaves him in his room. He's in the dark. He's scared. He's laying on the floor. He's laying by the door on the floor. He's begging his mom to let him out. So apparently she's locked him in. This woman is cruel. He's saying, no, let me out. Let me out. And then we see that we cut back to now. And Dr. Unsub is laying on the floor like the child him was. And he's saying, no, let me out. And then he sort of wakes up from that memory, so to speak. And then he just gets up and picks up his notebook and starts taking some more notes. <laughs> yes, he loves that notebook. And uh, we can hear Missy grunting and coming to. So apparently when she he threw her down there, maybe she was knocked unconscious or it was still from the drugs uh, that were obviously in her tea. Yes. But she starts uh, calling him Dr. Howard, says, what are you doing, Dr. Howard? So we finally have a name. He's Dr. Yeah, Howard. Yeah, and I think... I don't like this because that's clearly just for us. Um, we we're gonna see it, it, very shortly the patient uh, the 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 lists in the, in the lobby of all the doctors who work in the building, and it just says Doctor Goodman. There is no Doctor Howard on yeah. this list, so why didn't he just pretend to be Doctor Goodman? It right. doesn't make sense. I, I I know they put threw that in there so that when we learn his real name is Howard, then we know who they're talking about. But I just think it doesn't make sense. Agreed. But what does he do? Does he go help her, AJ? Yes, he does. And then lets her out. And uh, it was all just a misunderstanding. I'm afraid Aww. not. He does go over and starts to pile dirt <laughs> on poor Missy as we cut to break. <laughs> oh, dear. So when we come back from break, we're at the FBI office. And Reed is pointing out. That uh, our UNSEP is calling them phobias instead of anxiety disorders. And the terminology has changed a little bit. So either this guy is a complete amateur who doesn't know anything or he studied his psychology way back in the 80s. Who could be alive in the 80s, AJ? You mean the Uh, 80s, the era of the ABC after school specials? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. And I love how that seems ancient to, to read. Oh, man. But yes, 
Now they call them anxiety disorders. That's the point. They don't call them phobias anymore. Ah, the eighties, as long ago to kids today as World War II was to us. (sighs) (sighs) So Hacha is looking at the online questionnaire and reading some of the questions, and it's like, "Are you close to your family? Do you find it easy to make friends?" And Hot says, all you had to do was answer yes to this and you would have been spared the torture. (laughs) Talbert is wondering how this gets them to find out who this guy really is, what his real name is. And Hotch tells JJ to get Garcia. They start to think that he's possibly a real psychiatrist. He's probably married. And again, he might have adopted children because maybe this guy is impotent. And Garcia is on the speakerphone. She's cross-referencing all the Portland doctors with the adoptions. And Hotch points out this guy may also have been abused. Garcia says, well, juvenile records would be sealed. So they have to give her a minute. <laughs> she, she, not, not, we're not going to get those. Just you're going to have to give me hey, a minute hey, to hey. check. It. I got a clickety, clickety, clack. <laughs> right. There's an extra clickety. Yes. And Prentice also mentions the antiquated terms that he uses like phobias. So this guy's most likely in his 40s. Garcia comes up with a match. It's only one match. Dr. Stanley Howard, 43-year-old psychiatrist, has a wife named Jane Howard, has an eight-year-old daughter named Jessica. I got a little confused here because the relationship, nowhere else did we get, like there was this whole adopted thing and that's one of the things she was going to cross-reference, but it wasn't really clear that Jessica is actually adopted to me. It wasn't. I think it's just an assumption you make because Garcia clickety-clacked. But I agree. Yeah. It, it makes sense that she would only find one person via an adopted kid versus one doctor with a kid. <laughs> right. So I think it does narrow the field a little bit. So, you know, does it matter? No. What? It really doesn't. No. Just the fact that he has a kid, it was a, was a stretch to begin with. It's 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 possible, but it wasn't a you know probable. So I, whatever. We we know it's the right person a because they showed a picture, but also because we just heard her say Doctor Howard in the last scene, so it's fresh in our minds. You know. Right. So anyway, this Doctor Howard uh, had his practice shut down last year, right about conveniently the same time those killings started. Garcia says uh, he still has a a lease on his old office building, and his bank records seem to show a seriously depleted savings account. And Hotch says, so he's keeping up appearances. And Garcia says, yes, gives them the address for the building. Hotch says he's going to take Morgan and and read to the building, and he tells JJ and Prentice to go talk to the family. I'm wondering, I feel like there's it's uh, obviously we're going to get some some new blood in here pretty soon, but it does seem a little bit like Hotch is like, okay, you girls go do this. I'm going to take all the men and and yes. <laughs> take care, handle the dangerous However, stuff. However, um, sending JJ to the family always makes sense. That's kind of her job. She's a liaison. She liaises. So, um, you know, I, I don't think rotating Emily in and out is fine. So uh, if it happens again next week, then it becomes an issue. It just so happens this is the one-time thing. Okay, cool. And, I mean, you know, two women wrote this episode, so if there's any... You can't say misogyny in the writing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, I would say if it becomes habit, then it's a problem. 
So I shall learn if that if I think that continues. Yes. It's good. It's certainly good to notice because you know, obviously you don't want it to be all right. The boys go here. The girls go here. I mean, you know, yeah. Emily was with Reed earlier. The, the, True. Maybe they are just True. shuffling. She, she was. She had a scene with Morgan. So maybe they're just shuffling. Shuffling, shuffling. <laughs> there appears to be a man with a cardboard box on his head. He says he's shuffled up. <laughs> hey, I can do that cut. reference because it's a lot more modern than my ABC After School special. <laughs> right. <laughs> we uh, next cut to JJ and Prentice. They're knocking at a door. A little girl opens it. She asks them who they are. And Prentice introduces themselves. Hi, I'm Emily. This is Jennifer. Mrs. Howard walks up to him and says to the daughter, you know, you never open the door unless you know who oh, it is. It's a piece of work. <laughs> it's a real <Yeah>. prize. <laughs> they, uh, they flash their badges, let them know they're FBI. So we cut to inside the house and they're asking where Dr. Howard is. And she says, well, he's with a patient. And Prentice is like, uh, no, you, you are aware he shut down his practice one year ago. <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Howard is like, no, that's not possible. He wouldn't do that without talking to her. And Prentice says that he referred his patients to other doctors, allowed his license to expire. And Mrs. Howard is dumbfounded. She's like, what's happening here? Emily sits down and says, well, has Stan been acting strange lately? And Mrs. Howard says, well... He has had some issues since his mother died last year, but uh, he, he didn't even go to her funeral. They weren't really close. But he did say because of her, he he became a psychiatrist. <laughs> it's, it's a little weird. Like, I get that that's the trigger that started him killing. I get that. We're always looking for what's the trigger. <laughs> what, what could right. be the event that caused it? Uh why did he close his like I don't I they never explain why he closed his actual functioning uh practice. Yeah. Because it seems like it was a choice, like, uh, oh, now that my mother, who whose insanity caused me to become a psychiatrist so I could help people, now that she's dead, I no longer have to help people. <laughs> That's not what happened. Killing here. time is on. That's not what happened <laughs> yeah. here. Like it, it doesn't make sense. Like, and, you know, we don't have to have every single time tied up in a nice, neat bow, but then at least frame it that way. Like, I guess we'll never know. Like, it's, this is, right. it's weird writing. Weird. So next we cut to a big empty lot where Morgan Reed, Hotch, and, and Calvert have arrived. And they are at the correct address that Garcia gave them, but there's actually no longer a building there. So that's also when... As they're arriving there, Prentice happens to call Hotch to check in with them, and he gives her the news about there not being a building there. And we cut back to Mrs. Howard, who's clearly just been told this by Prentice, saying, what do you mean? It's gone? And Emily says, well, we need to figure out where Stan has been going every day. She's like, I don't know. And then she thinks, oh, but wait, <laughs> my family does have some commercial property downtown. Maybe... I'm going to say this. Look, it seems to me that this is a, an office building that's in town. Like, it's not like it's so far away. Uh, like my 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 wife, her commute to work is about 25 minutes to a half hour. I don't go visit her at work all the time. But I think this is probably close enough where she could have driven by the place and noticed it wasn't there in the past year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially because she seemed like that type of personality who would 
say, you know what, I'm going to go to his yeah, office oh, and, and nag him a bit. You know, <laughs> take your daughter to work day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just, it's very, very, very weird. Next, AJ, we cut back to the torture basement and Stan is still pouring all the dirt down over Missy, who's begging for him to stop. And he asks her his question. Is it worse than you thought? And she says, yes, it is. Please, you don't have to do this. She'll be okay. Just pull her out. She won't tell anybody about this, please. What's the strategy here? If you are in the pit and he asks you that question, is it, no, it's actually much better. Keep the dick coming. Would that cause him to stop? <laughs> or would it be like, it's about exactly the same? <laughs> would either of those work? <laughs> what do you think? Is there any chance right. here? I I don't know. I I... I think I'm going to pretty much agree with what he's saying in yeah. the hopes that that's okay, what he wants. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> what is the play is a very good question. Start telling uh, telling him, uh, I have a daughter. Her name is <laughs> And uh, like uh, we've seen some other victims do, even though that was clearly not her and he had already known but everything about her. this isn't my only fear. Uh, <laughs> Wide open spaces. I'm terrified of wide open spaces. Can we go to a wide open space? I'm terrified. Yes. You know what? Cotton candy (laughs) is frightening. Carnivals? Woo! (laughs) Um, Anyway. Comes back first as John Wayne Gacy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh So she says, please just pull me out. And he just continues to pour the dirt over her. And at this point, she's pretty much buried. Her head is covered. All we can see is her hand reaching out. And he goes back over to the window to grab his notebook and make some notes. And as he's making notes at this point, we do hear arriving police sirens outside. We cut to the building entrance and Calvert is saying, well, there's no tenants in this building. And he points at the directory and says, these all must be fake names. And Morgan says, yes, that that helps him with the ruse. Uh, But he sees that Goodman is on the fifth floor. And again, you're right. Just don't tell me Dr. Howard Goodman. Just be Goodman or, how you know, like you could have. It didn't make any difference whatsoever. Why bother confusing me? But and I looked up those fake names. None of them mean anything. They're just random names. (laughs) Okay. so they uh, they do split up. Uh, They do look at the sign-in sheet once they are up in Goodman's office on the fifth floor. And they see that someone named Missy Castle was the last person to sign in to his office. And that was just some some hours ago. They split up. Calvert goes with Reed. Morgan stays with Hotch. Morgan tells Hotch, it looks like Howard must still be there around there somewhere. And Hotch says, well, he's not going to go quietly. And then we cut immediately to outside as Morgan and Hotch come out. And he's just running up the steps on the side of the... Like, I thought that was some pretty convenient timing. I mean, it, it is. Although, when you consider that... Uh, I mean, the jig is up at this point, if he, if, he, if he heard the sirens. So, you know, we know his end game here is just to get as far away from the body as possible and maybe, you know, Mr. And it was interesting that the staircase was basically one of those outside-of-the-building staircases. Absolutely. Rather than an internal staircase where they would not have seen him hey. had he been running upstairs. Yeah, it's good location scouting. <laughs> so, yeah, so they see him on the staircase and he's running up the stairs towards the roof. So uh, Morgan and Hotch 
start to chase him up the steps. They're telling him to stay put, but he's just going up the stairs. So they follow him up there. They stop for a minute while on their way up to call Calvert and Reed to tell them that they found this guy, call the fire department. He's going up to the roof. They get up to the roof and Dr. Howard is there standing at the edge of the building on a a higher ledge, standing right at the edge. Hotch identifies himself as an FBI and Dr. Howard tells him, don't ask me to come down. Hotch says, look, we found at least 15 people dead. The gig is up, basically. It's over. And Dr. Howard says they sacrificed themselves for science. And <laughs> yeah. Hotch says, this is the easy way out. If you come down, we want to talk to you. You know you'll never get over your fear by killing yourself or your patients. And I would say, I'm wrong, Hotch. If he kills himself, he's he's gotten over his fear. Pretty much. Uh, Um, But Dr. Howard says, well, most people get into law enforcement because they want to help others. I kind of didn't get the point of that line, but okay, sure. Well, he got into what he did in order to find a cure for himself and others and help others. So maybe he sees himself as a kindred spirit. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Dr. Howard tells Morgan, because Morgan has shouted, where is Missy? And all he does is take off his glasses uh, and he looks at Hotch. And he says to him, I think your greatest fear is that you can't save everyone. It is worse than I thought. And he had some time to profile Hotch here, (laughs) I guess. Kind of astute. And then he allows himself to just sort of fall over the building, over the side of the building. He doesn't jump. He just sort of falls. Just falls, but turns his body just enough so that the twist and turn keeps him completely out of the reach of Hotch. And splat. (laughs) Splat. Right in front of, apparently, two cops that were just sort of standing around down there. It didn't look like they made any effort to to do anything. I don't think they could have caught him. But Those cops were scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) I wish somebody said that phrase this episode. No, they did not. No one said it. Yeah, give it. So right here we have the unsub, the blood splatter, and two pools of, of urine where the cops went, ah! <laughs> <You're right. laughs> so we cut to the Howard home. We see Mrs. Howard and the little girl getting the news of what happened from Prentice and JJ, and, and they start crying. A very nice artistic silent shot. I, the show does this sort of thing right all the time. From the beginning of the show to the end of the show, they always seem to get this right. You don't need words sometimes. Just a simple look, a gasp, in silence. It's all you need. We cut back to Morgan and Hotch, and Calvert is telling them they found Missy Cassell's car in a parking lot next to the building. And Dr. Howard's car was parked out back. So Hotch repeats what Howard said about his biggest fear. And Morgan's like, hey, man, he wasn't right in the head. And Hotch is like, no, 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 I get it. (laughs) I know. But I think he meant that Missy was out there somewhere. And Reed comes over and says he went through Dr. Howard's journals and he quickly found Missy's. And one thing she was terrified of is being buried alive. They see that. Dr. Howard has some dirt under his fingernails, so they figure, oh, she's got to be close. Uh, quite frankly, we okay, the dirt helps, but, I mean, buried alive. Hey, let's check the basement still works. <laughs> you don't need that extra step, but okay, whatever. <laughs> they rush to the basement, 
It's very dramatic. I'm not going to describe it. They find the girl. They find the dirt. They manage to pull the girl out. She does have a heartbeat. Missy starts coughing and coming to. So I guess they got there in the nick of time. They calm her down. Here's my question. How long (laughs) from the time that he buried her completely to running all the way up to the roof, having a soliloquy, they don't know where she is, they're kind of hanging around, they're able to call and relay the message to the family that the doctor's dead. (laughs) I mean, how long is she under there? Would she still be alive? you know, there, there are arguments that if you're buried alive, I, I've read that if you're in a coffin and accidentally get buried alive, you could probably survive for like six hours. Mm-hmm. But there, she wasn't in a coffin with a pocket of air or anything. She was completely covered in dirt. Like This was breathable dirt, AJ. Uh, okay, okay. It was aerobic dirt. Gotcha. <laughs> it, it seems silly to me, but I mean, I'm... You know, maybe she wouldn't die immediately. Sure, but it, like it wasn't even like she was coughing once or twice, and all of her airways were, cl- you know, like she was fine. Like just yeah, agreed. So they calm uh, Missy down. They tell her everything's gonna be all right. We get some montage. I-, I thought it was gonna be like this huge long montage because the music came up and I was ready for the Criminal Minds montage. Some awful, awful music. I don't know what this song is, but it was awful <laughs> slow and dreary and whatnot yeah and the montage is essentially garcia smiling and then we're on the jet and we have a scene <laughs> yes exactly i was like wait what, what's happening here um, i was a little disappointed if you're gonna do montage music give me a full-blown montage yeah. but instead we uh, are looking at the jet we get our closing quote eleanor roosevelt once said you gain strength courage and confidence by every experience and once you really stop to look fear in the face, you must do the thing which you think you cannot do. On the jet, Morgan is saying to Hotch that he can't sleep. And Hotch asks if he wants him to turn off the light. And Morgan says, no, he wants to be able to sleep. And Hotch looks at him like, what are you, what, what are you talking about, Willis? Uh, he asks him, what's the matter? Morgan says, no, what's the matter with you, Hotch? <laughs> uh they know they all know notice he's been acting strange and morgan says it's not just because of gideon what's really going on and hot says look we made a deal a long time ago not to profile each other oh that's interesting i wanted to hear about that i mean i know that <laughs> have we talked about this before <laughs> I yeah, just thought it, was- it, it has come up like, it, there have been times when people have questioned other people's behavior like with the way when reed Started acting hinky because of the drugs. And he's just like, hey, don't profile me, man. Don't profile me. Yeah, but I, I, I'm specifically talking about the deal made in 2004. There's an understanding that we are not to use our powers against each other. I want to see a flashback. I want to which, see that scene. Which, by the way, they all do all the time. They just can't help it. In fact, Emily was using it earlier uh, with Reed to kind of like, oh, right. Hotch is acting. She she actually had the wrong Reed. She thought it was just because of Gideon. So, but she hasn't known him that long. So it it, it it is interesting to see how well Morgan really does know Hotch here because he's like, and don't tell me it's about Gideon because I know yep. it's not that. It's something more than that. Talk to me. What is it? Yep. They had a huge victory today, and they're doing fine without Gideon. So that's why he knows it's not about Gideon. What's keeping you up tonight? And so Hotch comes out with it. He says, 
Haley's left and he doesn't know if she's coming back. And that terrible song keeps playing for a bit. Lights dim down and the episode is over. Yeah, and that was our episode. (laughs) So I I have one question for you now that the episode is over. It is, is my answer. (laughs) Because I know what your question is going to be, but go ahead. Uh, No, I think you knew what the question was. (laughs) I don't want to ask it. We made a deal. (laughs) Not, Not to profile each other. Uh, is it worse than you thought? <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my. We both had the same joke written, basically. Because <laughs> that was my next line on my paper. <laughs> no, it, I, look, I actually don't think it was worse. I, I, there are worse episodes than this. I actually don't mind this episode. It's not great, but like I said, there's enough of of the, the comedy beats. Uh, and and there's enough A to B to C to D here with the case that I don't I don't hate it. I'm not gonna remember it two weeks from now. Uh, you know, it's like I went to watch it and went, which one is it? Oh, it's yeah, it's that one. Like I remember yeah. it, but I don't. Go, Ooh, this one's is it weaker than than we've seen in a while? Sure, but it's not bad. Yeah, I. I am going into this expecting season three to be the the one that, you know, oh, every every episode almost is great. And and this one was just meh for me. I'm just with you. meh. Just, you know what? We're recovering from the loss of Gideon. It's gonna, we, can't, we can't just hit the ground running with a stellar episode. We got to ease our way back into it. So how do you feel when we look at the barometer, AJ? Do we think the team has won this episode? Look. Far be it for me to contradict one Derek Morgan, who in the very last scene says, ha, we got a victory. You know what? They got a victory. I'm not going to argue with it. Yes. All right. Uh, So for season three, so far, that is what? One victory? Two wins, one loss. Two wins and one loss. All right. Two in a row. We're, We're on a winning streak. Uh, another thing we like to do at the end of each of our episodes, AJ. Wait, 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 I just said undefeated since Gideon left. <laughs> Good point. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Now, what we like to do, AJ, is a little quiz, a little questionnaire. I call it three questions. It's inspired by the episode that we just watched. Uh, and we like to do that at the end of each of our episodes. So why don't you go ahead and take it away? Why don't I? Question number one for you, sir. Inspired by our episode today. Our unsub, portrayed by one Michael O'Keefe, clearly knows his way around holes. I'd like you to name for me the character that he played in a classic comedy from 1980, which also featured a lot of holes. So that must have meant he was in Caddyshack. If you say comedy from 1980 and a lot of holes, but boy, I don't remember any of the character names from Caddyshack. Uh, he was the the voice of the groundhog, beaver, whatever that was in that. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that. I really don't remember Caddyshack. I haven't watched it in 30 years. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But he is the main character of the movie. Was he? He is, of course, Noonan. 
Noonan. Yes, N- Noonan. Yes. Okay, now I remember it. Danny Noonan. He is the star of Gaddyshack. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Fair enough. It's been so long. I didn't recognize. Uh, he looked vaguely familiar to me, but I didn't recognize him. I I assumed he's just been in a ton of stuff that I've seen. And, and no, not really. Yeah. He, he, it's Caddyshack. Kind of. He was in. Uh, he was in Roseanne for a while. Not a that's lot. where I've seen him. But uh, that's where. I've all seen right, him. right. That's fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Question <laughs> number two. <laughs> we heard a lot of music this episode. Most of it bad. Uh, which is disappointing because they could have gone with what band from Portland with a punny name who provided the theme song to a television show which aired its last episode five months before this episode aired, at least its last episode of its original run. Uh, its original run. Band from Portland. Oh, this is going to hurt my feelings, isn't it? AJ, this is a great question. Oh, I'm trying to think of punny names. It's not going to come to me. I can't even come up with the show. There's several shows that have All been right. re- Now I'm going to, uh, for unofficial rehashed. half credit, the name of the show was Veronica Mars. Ah. Yes, a long time ago, we used to be friends. But who sings it? <laughs> a long time ago I used to know the answer. <laughs> uh that is Oh gosh darn it. Well done. It's I'm singing it's not gonna help me figure no. it out. I don't remember AJ. Come on, I don't sugar. Remember. Uh that would be the Dandy Warhols. Yes. The Dandy Warhols. Ugh. Pride of Portland, Oregon. Uh finally. Fine, I could have gone with this leader candy there, but I decided not to. Uh, question number three, my favorite <laughs> question of each week. Preview of next week's Felonious Pundits episode by asking you, what is going to be the plot of our next episode? Criminal Minds, season three, episode four, entitled Children of the Dark. <laughs> Children of the Dark. Is it A? A school bus coming home from a Friday night football game gets hijacked by a man on the run from local law enforcement. Is it B? A series of home invasions results in entire families getting killed. The parents brutally, but the children with a bit more remorse. Is it C? Vampires are responsible for the deaths of several exsanguinated bodies. Or at least that's what the unsubs want authorities to believe. Or is it D? When the bodies of several women turn up just outside the gates of an academy for the blind, the BAU turns its gaze towards someone who works there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm really hoping for D. That is my hope, based on the description of everything you've given me. But I'm actually going to answer with uh, with C. Which could you repeat that for me? I just want to make sure I'm picking C the one I thought. C was the vampires. Of. Yes, the vampires, the exsanguinated. I think they're going to go for that corny idea. 
Um, I think that's going to be the case. All right. Very good. Um, I will say while several of the plots that I pick each week as the fake ones are potentially ones that we will actually see at some point down the road, uh, this week's preview is of Children of the Dark, an episode where a series of home invasions result in entire families getting killed. The parents mm. brutally, but the children with a bit more care and remorse. And if memory serves, and I'm just, I haven't looked ahead too far, but if memory serves, we'll be seeing Veronica Mars alum Francis Capra III in this episode. Ah, <laughs> Weevil. Weevil, yes. <laughs> Weevil's wobble. Uh, Okay. I uh, I specifically didn't want it to be the home invasion one because I felt like we saw that already in season one, but... Oh, come on, man. <laughs> if you don't look forward to your seasonal episode of Family Annihilators, then are you really watching Criminal Minds? <laughs> okay. Well, folks, that was definitely fun. Uh, it is our show for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a great time. As usual, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know about our show. If you'd like, you can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. It's been a while. Wouldn't mind uh, chatting with you guys. If you have any comments on any of the episodes we've had before. Or just want to say hi, give us a write at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentaj Vinsgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. It's a universal truth that no parent wishes to acknowledge that the fear and phobias we are enthralled to in adulthood almost invariably connect back to childhood experiences. Mariella Frostrup. <laughs>